Okay, let's get started. podcast brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name's Scott Redd. I'm the president here, and I'm joined by our Dean of Students and Professor of Old Testament, Dr. Peter Lee, our Professor of New Testament and Senior Pastor at New City Presbyterian Church, Dr. Paul Jean, Professor of Systematic Theology, Dr. Grace Utanto, and Professor of New Testament and Academic Dean. Dr. Tommy Keen, and we're going to take a little bit of a break today on our reading strategies for scripture to talk about a little bit more of a practical issue um, coming out of some conversations that we've been having, uh, both with our students, with our colleagues in the ministry and with each other in terms of how do you how do you start well and how do you endure well in pastoral ministry? In other words, we're going to talk a little bit about the spiritual life, the the inner life of the pastor and good what rules for living advice just thoughts that we've had all of us have served in a church in different capacities but in ministerial capacities and and, and all of us are ordained uh, even for the job that we're doing here today so let's start off with this why is this such an important issue let me start with you dr paul jean the only no, not the only. That's not true because we have a church planner in our midst as well, friends, with Dr. Lee, Dr. Peter Lee. So an ordinary working pastor, Dr. Paul Jean. Tell us, Dr. Jean, why is this such an important issue? What are the threats that arise for pastors and their their spiritual health? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that too open-ended of a question? Oh, well, my mind was thinking about like um, how to actually endure. But um, I think along those lines, then I think it's a great question because you need longevity in ministry. I don't know how else to put it. And it's a very actually practical thing because your longevity contributes directly to the health of your church. You know, I always compare it to a church to like a family. And in general, families will be healthy this is a broad generalization, but if fathers are healthy, you know, and they stick around. And um, so I think there's an analogy there. So I think this is why it's such an important topic. If you look at the church as a family and the pastor as one of the fathers. That's great. Yeah. And people are looking mm -hmm. to the pastor to set the tone, even the tone, for, not, not just the tone for like where the church is going and leadership and casting the vision for the church, but also a model of at least pursuing and striving for spiritual health. Well, that, that's really a helpful analogy. I know, I know. Yeah, the, the the metaphor of the family can break down at at some points, and you got to think about that. But um, it's really helpful and convicting, you know, thought that I, I can, as a father, I can think that my worst moments are actually when I'm not respond when my emotions get unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah want to scrap all of that <laughs> no, 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 that was that's great because <laughs> was recognizing the reality mm -hmm. of of uh, of uh emotional or spiritual yeah. lack of health and right. that's a reality for all of us that's for, for every for every father and mm -hmm. for every pastor that's a that's a reality of the job 
like the popular phrase right now in a lot of therapy is like self-care even though like the new testament doesn't use that paul talks so often about like paying attention to yourself paying attention to your teaching paying attention to even your health right and so i think that this topic of like pastors it's not it doesn't have to be either or like you love your people or you love yourself in a lot of ways if you don't engage in very serious self-care then you're not going to be able to love people well so i think this is a really relevant topic well i think we're all dealing with our issues right whatever those are whether those are wounds from childhood or hurt relationships now um our own inner difficulties and struggles and for me what self-care indicates is not so much right it's not just a therapeutic i have to love myself before i love others kind of idea but what it is is it's saying listen this stuff is going to come out in your work and in your ministry whether you like it or not when you're taking care of yourself what you're doing is is you're being aware of you're learning the contours of your own weaknesses and strengths Mm -hmm. and it's not for the sake of being merely introspective or scrupulous, right? But it's for the sake of being able to protect your congregation, those around you, and also be a good steward of who God's made you to be. Yeah, and I think this almost goes without saying, but I think it's worth asserting the importance of this because pastors are in a lot of pressure. They're under a lot of pressure. People look to them for spiritual counsel. The advice that they give could determine the the course of people's lives. And I think when I think about that sort of pressure, then one way, one key way, a necessary way to alleviate ourselves with that pressure is actually to be confessional mm-hmm. and also to be Presbyterian. Um, so we have to be confessional Presbyterians if we want to have longevity. It's not sufficient conditions, but they're necessary conditions. Why? Because by being confessional, you alleviate yourself of the pressure of being creative in no. your teaching, right? So you're you're using the tradition to lean on and then you're realizing that that you don't have the 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 prerogative or actually the capacity to come up with your own theology to give these people right so you you want to take a look at your tradition as the the shoulders of giants that you're standing on and you're giving this to the people and therefore saying this is not me who's saying it this is our historic catholic tradition that's saying it and then secondly i think being presbyterian is really helpful because not all the pressure, therefore, is on you to make all of the decisions. You want to get good, healthy, mature Christians around you and your elders and your deacons to help you make those decisions so that it's not just all on you. And so you don't want to surround yourself with just yes men because if you have elders who just have yes men who just say yes to everything that you do. All the pressure is still on you. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, and that's actually, that that's going to break your back, right? And so I think you want to, have these sort of men to, to help you make decisions together so that you can carry that responsibility together. So so think about confessional Presbyterianism as actually helpful, necessary conditions for thriving yeah. and also for persisting and enduring and persevering in your ministry because it helps you so much in not having all the pressure on your back. Mm-hmm. I think that that point, you said a lot in there that that is super helpful, I think, in leadership. One of them is that confessionalism, contrary to popular belief, confessionalism actually frees you up. It doesn't constrain you. Right. You know, I mean, I've used the analogy before, right? It's like being on the, you know, the the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. I had to drive out there this past weekend. Yeah. 
And if there were no guardrails on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, right, I'd be driving slowly, white knuckling it down the middle of that road, right, at 10 mm-hmm. miles an hour. <laughs> but because there's guardrails on the bridge, I'm barreling down it at 65, you know, listening to music and enjoying the view, right? right? Because there's freedom in those confess- in, in those guardrails, right? There's mm-hmm. freedom in the confession the same way too. It frees me up not to have to act like I have to come up with innovative Christian ideas every minute. Right. Yeah. But actually I can point to the tradition. I can stand on the shoulders of giants, part of a much larger conversation that frees you up mm-hmm. to actually explore being a minister in your local context. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, you know, during a lot of these city to city trainings, our church is is in charge of teaching other pastors how to preach in a gospel centered way, in a, in a more reformed sort of way. And Tazar, our, our old pastor there at Covenant City Church, he would talk about how to preach exegetically and theologically from the Reformed tradition. And I remember this guy who's been really in a very um, prosperity gospel-like sort of setting was saying, well, this makes preaching so much easier mm-hmm. <laughs> because now I can just exposit what the text says rather than coming up with something new every week. So for a long time, his process of preparing for sermons is reading up on the latest trends and leading, reading up. I mean, that could be helpful in some way, but if that's the basis of your teaching, there's so much pressure for you to make up new material every week and to keep up with what everybody else is saying. But now this, you're freed up to just say what the text says. And you might even say to yourself, hey, I might have feelings of my own about what the text says, but here's what the text says. And that, that really does help you. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo also the, the, uh, the idea of the plurality of the elders and how helpful that is. Now, I, you know, some, not everybody gets to serve in a church with a healthy session. Uh, and so if you have an unhealthy session, that can be a source of stress and conflict and, and things of that nature. But if, uh, if you're able to cultivate and develop a, a healthy session, then you, you are serving with individuals that should be caring for your health as well. I can, you know, I combine that with kind of Paul's first point, I, the self-care point and having the freedom to be weak, having the freedom to recognize that I too am a sheep. I too need care. And I have shepherds around me, um, that these brothers are not just, uh, you know, financial partners. We're not the board that makes decisions. We're not, um, the, uh, you know, managers. We're also shepherds to one another can be a huge benefit to you know to to ministry um both in terms of the decisions that need to be made and, and sharing the load there sharing the burden but also supporting one another yeah yeah well i want to ask a question to paul here because anyone who's worked with paul here could recognize that he's always working on something and he's he's teaching in the seminary teaching greek and new testament <clears throat> stuff he's traveling to new york city to teach for rts new york he's also pastoring this church and it's it's, it's uh, growing in significant ways as well. So how do you keep up with all this work, Paul? Well, and stay emotionally healthy. One key thing is I do sleep eight hours a day. So I'm actually very militant about that. Um, if I can just make three very quick suggestions um, in terms of like keeping up with everything. One is, and, and this is in no particular order, but one is that I think pastors they can't ever get too busy where they're not studying, you know, and some will say, well, I have the advantage of being surrounded by, you know, 
great colleagues. And yeah, that that is an advantage. But I think that once you stop learning, like really learning, and I mean much more than reading, because reading can actually be very passive, like just writing and growing, then that actually, I think, really does affect your longevity. I was thinking, this is such a random comment, but I was thinking about the relationship between trauma and the doctrine of God, because I came across this article where the author was saying that in a lot of ways, um, people have become less able to handle difficulties in life because they no longer have like a big God. And as you know, Gray was saying, that's something that that's one of the benefits of confessionalism that we're not caught up in like the trends of the immediate, but we're able to think through the things that church has been thinking throughout the centuries. So that's actually really helpful. And that intersects with a lot of life because it's about killing like multiple birds at one stone where whatever I'm learning uh, for my sermon prep uh, gets naturally applied to what I'm teaching in seminary. And then what I'm learning in seminary, you know, goes back. So that's really helpful. I think the second thing that has been actually very helpful for me is being very attuned to my idols. Um, and that's a huge part of ministry, like health, because if you, you can easily fall into like self-pity, but if you know like really what idols are governing you and they are draining the life out of you, uh, and you don't even know, then um, that actually does affect people in the long run. So I think really being attuned to your idols. Um, and what do you mean by idols? Like um, just, you know, the classic definition right now is when good things become ultimate things, right? Where like you're obsessing about ministry success, or you're thinking about, I don't know what else people think about in ministry, but, or, you know, you, you want to be like a good speaker. You want to be like a famous pastor. You know, people have different idols, but just really being attuned to the condition of your heart. And then um, number three, I think this is actually really huge. And I know that I, a lot of my pastor colleagues disagree with me on this, but I think having good friends inside your church, not just good friends, um, like outside your church, but make a world of a difference. And so as we think about this topic of endurance, those are the things I think about. Just one footnote I would make, <clears throat> um, because this has been so helpful. And this, like, these are all indirect, but very real answers to uh, Dr. Santos' questions of, I think maintaining good physical health is important. This is why a lot of pastors, if you think about it, so much of their ministry is actually meeting people to eat with them. And more often than not, yeah. when they, meet with people they're eating chick-fil-a you know like chipotle which, so which is the christian option <laughs> and Chick so i tell people i tell pastors you have to pay attention to your diet and your exercise because if you're not healthy physically yeah it begins to really affect you, you. started that off so, with sleep yeah. and that was i actually you were kind of making saying that as a joke i think that's actually well, a huge part so of it yeah. i mean your your body we are our yeah. bodies and our spirits are intertwined and I think we often do forget that. And and I think a lot of pastors think, ah, the body, whatever. This I'm sacrificing yeah. it for the ministry. And actually, yeah. you're not going to be able to minister so well without keeping that mind-body balance. Yeah. And I think the body, the best of the Reformed tradition, there's diversity in the Reformed tradition on this, but the body is actually included within the image of God, right? People just think about the soul yeah. usually sometimes, and some yeah. in the Reformed tradition think of- My uh, reason or something. Yeah. My intellect, my soul is the immortal part of me, and so that is what reflects God most, right? And Bobbing makes the point that even though the soul epistemologically reflects the image of God in a more direct way, the body does as well in all of its, um, in all of its functions. There's a mm -hmm. unity and diversity there. You know, the person 
drives the whole body directionally, but also in the fact that your body is finite, brittle, and needs sleep reflects the fact that it is not God, but an image. Yep. Yeah. And so you're derivative, and so you're contingent, and so it reminds you that you need God for your sustenance. It's a Sabbath principle, right? That's so great. pastors, remember that. I think you said something else too that I think is really interesting because I've thought about this. Having friends in the church, and I've heard the same thing, like you can't have friends in the church. You've got to have friends outside the church. And if we take the Presbyterian model seriously, what does it say? It says that both actually matter, right? In terms of accountability, you need presbytery, right? I need these people, these other ministers and other churches who know me. Ostensibly, I'm worshiping with them. They know me. They're holding me accountable. They're friends, but they're also accountability, their leadership in my life. And yet also, what I have my session in the church, right? I mean, if you're taking that model seriously, then that's giving you a bit of a model for having both these relationships that are true, intimate, parody-type relationships, both outside and inside the church. And I think that's right, because the people who are in the church with you are going to see a side of you that maybe the presbytery doesn't see, right? Because the presbytery gets to see you once, once a month or maybe in the committees or whenever you're meeting. But your church members are going to see and your, and, and your friends who you can rely on are going to see the things about yourself that you may actually not be aware of. Mm -hmm. They might be the ones who can come and reflect back on you like, hey, I've kind of noticed this over the last few weeks. How are you doing? And it might be something that you're not cognizant of or you're trying to hide, right? In, in Proverbs, I know you guys talked about wisdom recently, but that, and, you know, in Proverbs, the friend is depicted in that way, right? Of being um, closer than a brother, able mm -hmm. to kind of reflect your character back on you and show you things that you might not be able to see, kind of like a mirror does, right? You look at a mirror because it shows you yourself. And a friend can do that too. A good friend can. And, and kind of nurturing those relationships both outside and inside the church is really important. I think on that note, you know, there is always inside the church. I, I totally agree with you, Paul, that we should be developing relationships. And and I totally agree with myself and what I said earlier. <laughs> That's profound. <laughs> about, about having a good session and uh, and they being, you know, your caretakers to some extent. There's, there's always going to be a healthy distance um, because, you know, you're the shepherd, because you're the you're the father of the church. And, I, you know, you don't tell your kids all uh, the struggles that you have internally and mentally, because there is a, there is a, hey, I don't, I can't put that burden on you. Um, so, so I'm wondering how do you kind of close the gap of that distance? And I'm increasingly persuaded that pastors do have a resource there of, of, of uh, counselors of getting, you know, uh, you know, maybe a therapist don't, uh, I guess one of the things I'd say about being emotionally healthy is, you know, don't close doors in that respect. You know, we, uh, self-care, you have a lot of resources available to us. We have a lot of resources available to us that weren't available 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, there's the stigma of that is, is much diminished. Um, so if you find yourself in a spot where you can't talk to your church or um, you're not getting the care you need, uh, 
take take advantage of some of those resources that are mm-hmm. out there. There's a lot of uh, good stuff that's available to you. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. General revelation has taught us much in terms of the way we operate as humans and, and avail yourself of those opportunities. Yep. I tell our students, don't think, you know, as they're who are preparing for ministry, don't think counseling is something you wait till the last minute or when the problem no, can, arises, you should, you should, you should go to counseling uh, in a kind of preparation kind of way, in like a prophylactic way, right? Yeah, we Come, don't go do, to it before the problem arises. Yeah, we, we don't do that. You're supposed to, I, I hear that you're supposed to see your medical doctor once a year. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, there's, there's regular check-ins that can happen for your emotional health too. And, and we yeah. shouldn't um, wait until the last minute. That's great. This is a huge topic. Soul care is something we could delve into for another, uh, Another three episodes, no doubt. Mm. But what are our rules of thumb? Enjoy your context and community. Enjoy your confessional background. Make the most of it. Your confessional guardrails. Take care of your body. Know your idols. Know yourself. Go to bed. Go to bed. Have friends in the congregation and outside. Seek counseling. Did I miss anything? Eat well. Eat well. Go for a run. But not too well. Not too well. Eat healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Have measured expectations. Absolutely. I mean, the, the reality is, the reality is, is that, you know, we are pastors, all of us. Mm. And the nature of pastoral work is, is going to be grueling. And there's no way to really minimize that. I mean, I mean, there's everything, I guess I'm, I'm listening to what every, all you guys are saying and really taking it to heart and wish I had heard this 30 years ago. And, uh, and, uh, but at the same time, you know, past world work is past world work. It, it, uh, it sort it reminds me, I guess, of what Dan McCartney shared at Tommy's, uh, install, uh, at his installation service out. The men are, you know, as pastors, we are necrosing with Christ, but for the joy of God's people. I mean, it, it is a withering away. Um, and so we do need to be cared for as pastors, but the nature of the work mm-hmm. is going to yeah, is going to the cause pressure damage. and the burden that cracks the vessel so that the right. light can shine out. That was a great, great way of saying it. It seems that we have to um, instill a certain expectation. It, this is hard work. There's a price to be paid. Not mm. everyone's going to make it. And if if you do ministry for a while and you realize the price is too high, get out of it. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a lot of respect to appreciate the nature of the call and to acknowledge that, you know, maybe there are some who, who the Lord called to do this and others that haven't. And there's wisdom to kind of discerning that and, and moving on. While at the same time, if you continue to remind ourselves that, you know, it is a, you know, uh, a fellowshipping with Christ in terms of the suffering of the ministry and there, and that's the nature of the work. And we need to, uh, be prepared for that. There are going to be long nights. There are going to be grueling moments. There are going to be great successes as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and part of it just seems that we have to have measured expectations, realize, you know, what mm-hmm. what we are called to. I think from that point, and um, this seems perhaps providentially wise that we're talking about this now. I'm not sure who established this, but October, I guess, has been recognized as the Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> um, the, uh, I never heard. <laughs> well, that's what We're I've been told. Through. Okay. And, uh, it, the month's not <laughs> over and, um, you know, for congregants that are out there, uh, you know, perhaps one thing for them to consider doing is organizing something to, uh, 
recognize your pastor. Honestly, I think a, a word of appreciation for a Mennon minister, I know for for myself as a as a guy who used to be a real pastor, goes a long way. Mm-hmm. It really does. And um and for members to rally together to support and to show extended love and care, you know, realizing, you know, what they're doing, what they're giving up and uh, to acknowledge that really does go a long way. So that's something maybe I'd encourage not just well, obviously not pastors, <laughs> but for uh, for members that are out there to you know think about your yeah, pastors. Out there. It helps. It helps, and not just you're not puffing them up. You're just encouraging them in their attempt to pursue the call that God's put in their lives. And obviously, we're talking about kind of unique issues that arise as a pastor, and probably in other in other kinds of leadership roles as well. Uh, leaving aside, um, of course, you know, just participating in the means of grace, kind of the natural the natural way in which we monitor and nurture our spiritual health, being in word and prayer and sacrament. All of that, of course, obtains too for the pastor. But there are some unique things that happen that need to be need to be dealt with for this group that is often underserved, um, I think, because there's not a huge industry in helping pastors survive and make it to the end well. And we probably need a little bit more of that. Well, thanks, friends, for this conversation. Thanks for sitting down. And uh, I look forward to coming back together and being with you all next week. Until then, take care.